Hello, and welcome back to the second ever episode of the Priority Sale Podcast. I am Jesse Lafine. I am joined by Brian Gray. Hello, Brian. Hello, Jesse. Uh, we are, by the way, uh, only half of the team that created the Priority Sale. And uh, in coming episodes, we hope to get our other two, I wouldn't call them shy, uh, but they're just busy consulting uh, partners uh, on here to get some of their thoughts as well. But today, we are focused on a subject that is near and dear to my heart, uh, having worked uh, in a lot of different marketing capacities uh, throughout my career. Uh, what's the point of a website? What the heck is a point of a website, especially for a B2B sales company, right? Um, yeah, and especially over the last you know, 10, 15 years, how that's evolved. That's that's a great place to to really start this. Uh, last episode we talked about um, the the changing nature of the the role of a seller and how it's become less distributing information as value and more consulting as value. But the website really was the thing that sort of caused that. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, being in business long enough to remember when something like a website came out, and I remember people made their mark in the community by saying that guy developed Conseco Fieldhouse's website. <laughs> you know, like, like that was a, there's some aura about that. Now you knock out web pages and, you know, an afternoon. I just but, made three since we started this pod. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think that that's it. Technology and broadband and all those things changed it. But, but when you really think about um, the purpose of a website and who got involved, we still see a lot of the same participants um, in building a website, and we still think of them as once every five years, we need to redo our website. They just, they just don't see it the way it's, it's really evolved. So I think this, your question is, you know, what's the point of a website is, is a worthy topic, um, especially how it, how it needs to play in the journey that a buying team goes through, knowing that your sellers are ignored, you know, being ignored for the first 70 to 80% of the, the sales journey. So I think m most of our audience, if not all, are, are sellers, uh, not necessarily marketers. And I know uh, there's always been this um, healthy or unhealthy tension between selling and marketing in terms of, well, I, one of my favorite stats so from a survey that HubSpot did a while back, 60% um, of marketers thought that the leads that they provided were uh, the most valuable leads in the entire sales organization. And they asked the, the salespeople in the, the same companies, that same question and only 8% agreed, not 80, eight. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, so the, the, the website sort of becomes this fulcrum of uh, that, that tension between, you know, marketing and selling. Um, and I think, you know, the, the conversations in my career that have played out uh, when it comes to the website are, uh, why are we saying this? Why aren't we saying that? Uh, why are we giving this away? Why aren't we giving this away? Um, yep. That seems to be the the battlefield, if you will, of um, you know who's messaging what and and who's saying the right thing. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit of role confusion. You talk about the fulcrum, you know, when you think about uh, just real quick on the idea of, of leads and why they're great leads to one and bad leads to the other. I think a lot of this is where um, the lead shows up so late in the buying journey that's when you think of the priority phase, planning phase and procurement phase being in that order, we want to be at the priority phase. Our leads from our website tend to have us coming at the procurement phase. So while it's a lead with a, it's a hot lead with a ideal type prospect, 
what the seller sees is there's already three other people in there right now. And I'm the fourth one they're talking to. So I, I think it's from that perspective, it's easy to see. And I think this is a back to the, what's the point or what's the job to be done for the website? You know, if, if you just simply thought of it differently, that if 70% of the buying journey is done before a human being enters the picture, then what is the role or the job to do if you're a website? And, and I, let's just say for, for this conversation's sake, that your website is got to perform like a lead salesperson because they're going to go there before they reach out to you and even submit a, a form. So if your website is truly becoming that role of lead salesperson, the simple question you have to ask yourself is, would you send your website on a sales call? And when you think about the work to be done and what shows up, it kind of violates most rules of selling, right? The old don't show up and throw up. <laughs> don't talk too much about yourself. All the things that you've been trained as a seller not to do, um, looking at your website as a lead salesperson is violating all those things that you're, you shouldn't be doing. I think that's true for the vast majority of B2B sales organizations. Um, but even in the case where you've got an entire marketing team, marketing department who understands these things and is really actually executing the job very, very well. Mm -hmm. they're still falling into that late stage procurement sort of trap, right? And here's a really, really good example. Think about um, AdWords, or sorry, Google Ads. It's been four years. I still call it AdWords. Um, in, in that case, you know, as, as a marketer, you go out and you literally bid on the highest volume keywords against your direct competitors, right? Hey, competitor, uh, you want to pay $4.26 for this, uh, you know, ad space. I'm going to pay you know, $4.28 and ha, my, you know, blink is higher than yours. And, but we both bid on the exact same word. So we both in other words, when I commoditized ourselves. Yeah. When I know I'm looking for blank, I type that in. So by very nature of the, of the setting up what's going on, I'm automatically in the late stage. I think I know I need this. I'm looking for people that can do this. And I'm going to enter a search term that provides me a list of potential providers. Yeah, Hundreds, I want 10 links. Not, yeah, yeah. In, in you know, when, with great pride, remember I in an earlier session, we talked about how as sellers, we used to out hustle and show up and we're the only ones being considered because we're the only ones showing up now. Uh, Google takes pride in saying there's 1.6 million results found in four seconds. So, yeah. so <laughs> it's not just one or two competitors, you've got everybody under the sun that that is showing up at that procurement phase and they all want the same business you do. And that's not to say that we shouldn't be selling to the people nope. who are looking. Nope. That's maybe but. a better way to think of it is that uh, we were too late. Yes. And I, I think that's important because we talk about um, so much value being destroyed or created, right? If you make a living of showing up at the last minute in the procurement phase, you are going to ride more races to the bottom than anywhere else. If you could position yourself and your website to have better conversations earlier in that journey, you will have an opportunity to become much more influential and actually create value and not see your value being destroyed. That's a really interesting concept to get in early with the right person, uh, maybe even before they enter the marketplace, before they even really understand that they need this solution. 
at that point, the role of the website really, really shifts, right? Because it needs to support that higher priority for that, you know, initial person that you, that you are getting in touch with. But then that information distribution system actually serves the buying committee as a follow-on rather than that initial decision maker, right? And so I think um, as, as marketers, we sort of get caught up in this idea that I'm going to be the first person to show up when they look for that. And by virtue of that, I'm going to you know, get the attention of the right decision maker, because after all, they're the one that put it in to Google in the first right. place. Uh, but really when we start, just, you know, step back and think about getting into that person's boss or that person's boss's boss who, you know, sat down at a conference table at some point months ago and said, boy, you guys, this is a problem we have to solve. How are we going to do this? The role of the website then really doesn't become capturing that lead necessarily becomes supporting that lead instead. And frankly, there could be a lot of the same content for both. There's no yeah, reason why, I mean, you know, closing down all those members of that buying committee is something that's going to have to happen. They're going to need information. They're going to get it from the website and that's fine. I think the, what I'm really driving at here is this mentality that happens within a sales organization. I mentioned the word fulcrum earlier. Uh, this idea that marketing is over here and its job is done and everybody high fives as soon as a lead comes in and sales is over there and they pick up that lead and ne'er should the two ever meet, right? But we know that's not really what's going on on the other side of this equation on the buying side. Yeah, absolutely. The This idea you, you mentioned, un, thinking you understand the decision maker, um, another also uh, pretty critical assumption mistake is that we feel we need to inundate the prospect with information. And there's a real inverse relationship between information and insights. If you want greater access earlier, we need insights, not more information. So where is that fulcrum placed? And in really about working together, we have a topic that that we uh, share with, with a lot of marketing organizations around hunting together, winning together. The, so it's not about say, marketing does their job, sales does theirs. You really have to think about working in tandem uh, to learn how to hunt those opportunities and get to those proper decision makers before they really even know they have a problem because we've been striving for greater influence because what we're seeing with this change in selling Jesse is we're seeing that not only are we being ignored to the very end we have zero influence I mean we're approaching zero influence in the buyer buyer's journey and then prices become completely commoditized so I think this time to align what your website is doing and where that fulcrum is placed has to be in sync with what the, the selling group needs to do yeah, I really don't like the idea of that fulcrum. I like the idea of both marketing and, you know, selling, actually looking at this as, hey, we're all selling yeah. the exact same solution. We're all sellers. Yeah, there, uh, there really go. is no line in between marketing. Uh, different skill sets, sure. Yeah, I mean, you're going to want somebody who's perhaps a better writer in marketing, perhaps a better designer in marketing, perhaps, you know, a better presenter in selling, et cetera. And, you know, filling people's uh, roles based on their skills, that makes sense, certainly. But uh, thinking of this as, as a divide in between marketing and selling is just, it's really crippling the organizations that have any marketing capacity whatsoever. Yeah, and I think they, they often revert to this role of the, the lone marketer. Um, I'm thinking especially in, uh, you know, professional services firm uh, for sure, where their, their title is marketing. Um, they're the one who you know, makes the calls and hires the person to build the website, but the vast majority of their day is making PowerPoint slides uh, on demand 
you know, on request from a salesperson uh, who got that lead from the website. Well, you know, when you think about it, what sparks most website rebuilds or redesigns? Somebody uh, tells the CEO that the website looks horrible. <laughs> it's outdated, right? It's not even being redone for the right reasons. Sure, we want something that looks nice, but we've talked about executing you know, like hell in the wrong direction. You know, we could be designing something beautiful that doesn't really solve any of the real challenges that are that we confront now as, as uh, sellers and marketers. Yeah, you, if you want to very temporarily uh, uh, tightly unite a marketing and sales uh, team, somebody just points at the website and says, that thing sucks. <laughs> and right. all of a sudden for the next six months, nine months, 12 months, however long it takes, uh, just make it look agrees. better. Just make it look better. Don't don't think of I mean, We don't even think about how do I get in earlier. We don't think about this website needs to operate like our best lead salesperson because it's your only lead salesperson in many situations. So we've talked a little bit about you know what the website shouldn't do uh, in terms of you know being what is the old joke is it's a date with the opera singer me me me. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's let's talk a little bit about some things that a website can do. Um, how can a, a one-way transmission, which is you know the text and graphics on a website uh, to that prospect or that member of that buying committee uh, sitting behind their screen, what are some of the ways that a website could start to drive toward priority instead of just uh, saying, this is what we do? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's again, putting it in the, the sales realm. I mean, how, how do we connect your real impact to your prospect's top priority. And I think if you look at most websites, it's what, what, what we do, what we do, what we do, but not about our real impact. And that's an exercise that, that anybody in the revenue function really needs to understand is what is their real impact. And when you think about your real impact and your ideal prospect's top priority, it really reframes step one, two, three as they approach the website. So if we understood those two things first, then we could look at some kind of a journey. How do I capture their attention? So let's think about how we build trust with our interactions, right? We want to, you know, we want to um, get someone's attention. Well, once, once you have their attention, then you could share beliefs. And so there's certain a path you can walk them through. And I think that the, a website could and should and must do the same things. One of the really interesting things that we teach in the priority sale is the inverse relationship between insights and information. Um, could you sort of walk us through that? Um, and, you know, especially in the context of a website. Yeah, the, well, the idea of insights, and, and you mentioned this, Jesse, where the, the ideal spot to get in, if you want to be the, the most influential you can be and be the highest degree of consulting possible, is you, you need to awaken someone uh, to this idea that there's a better, new, fresher way to eliminate a threat, right? Because what our brains do all day, every day is seek to make my threats go away. And uh, we're doing all that we can. But it, in most cases, it's not all that we can. What the key here is to be able to um, connect to that in a way where the prospect sees you in a much different light as a potential solution to those threats. So that idea of, of an, is the, in an insight is the only way we're going to get that done because reams of information and brochures just don't connect to the primitive brain at that point in time. So early in that buying journey, it's got to be insights that connect to, wow, that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. That's a problem I've been experiencing. And they're, they're saying it in a way that really makes sense to me. As you go through that journey from priority 
to planning to procurement. As you get towards planning and procurement, the dependency on information is greater, which has its own issues, right? Because we do know that too much information creates a lot of anxiety because there's always more to get. So this idea of information overload is, is real. It's pure and it's real. And, and when we mix those twos up, two up, we get into a lot of trouble. In fact, one of the most fundamental mix-ups that sellers have is that the brain buys at a much at a primitive level, but we try to sell rationally and intellectually. And it's just it's such a mismatch. And I think the same is true of the website. That does make a lot of sense. I think uh, I, I want to sort of close out here um, with what what I think is a really good example of insight selling, uh, but doing it uh, on a on a website. I mentioned um, HubSpot earlier. Um, I'm personally a big fan of their marketing and uh, product. Um, I think it's you know really good fit for the for the right organization. But I'm sounding like I'm promoting HubSpot now. I'm not. Uh, Back in the day, HubSpot realized that there was a need um, for software that can facilitate this new sale. And by new sale, I mean, you know, post-internet, post-functioning uh, you know, Google. Yep. Uh, this idea where we're traveling, you know, 60, 70, 80% of the sale without ever contacting a seller. Um, HubSpot recognized that. And they said, well, you know, we need to think about marketing today uh, or you organization need to think about marketing today, not as an outbound activity where you go and you buy airtime and you interrupt a consumer in between content that they want with a message that you paid for. Uh, that no longer works because we have the internet now. And so um, their insight that they offered to their audience was this idea of inbound marketing, that you need the resources and the tools to capture those leads from those people who are shopping this way now uh, because the old way of doing things uh, wasn't so. Um, what's really, really nice about that is uh, not necessarily, you know, the, the insight itself, but it's more any good insight like this helps you name the problem and offer up a solution to that problem. So by saying, hey, we need to switch from outbound to inbound, they name the problem. And then obviously the product that they sold uh, was a solution uh, to sort of tackle that. Well, and, um, and, and to riff further, Jesse, when you think about leads have always been, we've been talking about leads since Glengarry Glen Ross, <laughs> yeah. all the way back in time, we've always lived off leads and all I had to say, hey, notice, have, your, have you seen lead, your lead flow slow down? Have you seen this and wonder why your competition is getting more leads than you are? Then all of a sudden, you're really framing a threat to an organization. Lack of leads is, was a real threat, still is a real threat to organizations. It, it certainly can be. Um, and, you know, there are various ways to go get those in various stages too. I mean, yep. we talk about priority leads and planning leads and late stage uh, procurement leads. Uh, they're not all created equal. I, I would imagine in the days of Glengarry, uh, you know, a lead was the very, very beginning of that buying journey. So, I mean, leads then were pretty valuable. Uh, not all leads today are created equal because you have no idea how much of that or how many other people uh, they put you in a bucket with when they reached out and, and you know, got in touch in the first yep, place. Absolutely. So the recap here, the role of the website, not to talk about what we do, not to talk about who we are. Boy, as a, as a real quick aside, I cannot stand pages of here's the people that work at this company. <laughs> what on earth? What on earth does that mean to me? Yeah, back to the me, me, me. Well, back to, yeah, you're right. The idea of your web, it should be your lead salesperson. Who would want their lead salesperson saying what your website's saying? It just, it, it, it doesn't make any sense is, is, is 
good as it might make us feel and as uh, as it fills our need, just think about your prospect. It doesn't really fit or feel or doesn't really fit the needs that they have. Sure. And I understand sales like, uh, you know, some of those uh, AEC type things where the qualifications of the individuals on a project are important. Sure. Like make a page for them and give them a link to it. But boy, there are so many B2B sales organizations where you land there and it's just like, here's everybody that works at the company. Look how great we are. And I think it's just a lack of something, you know, editorial to say about here's the priority that we solve and here's our real impact that we can bring to you instead. Well, how much time, do, how much of the brain's attention do you get, Jesse, at, a mo- at, at any point in time? Hardly any. Okay. So you have hardly any time. Are you going to waste that time or are you going to do what's best to engage that brain? And what's best to engage that brain is to answer what's in it for me, right? Absolutely. That your prospect, their brain, your brain, my brain, Albert Einstein's brain, uh, is just sitting there saying, what's in this for me? And to put your own face up there and say, here's me instead. <laughs> it's just a complete waste of time. Uh, but right. getting back to the recap that I uh, yes. got off the rails, role of a website, uh, facilitate a priority, uh, help members of the buying committee uh, gather the information that they need to rationalize the thing that they already want to do, yes. um, and really offer insight uh, that helps reframe a problem and helps teach people and name that problem and then give them a solution to it. Uh, that's really the role of a modern website. And yes, along the way, you're going to collect procurement stage leads. And yes, we should still you know, gather those and sell to those. Uh, but really, uh, it's about adding these new functions uh, to that website in terms of what it needs to support uh, for a, a selling team that is really consultative and is out there hunting. And now it is time for my favorite segment in which I make Brian compete for a set of steak knives. <laughs> is this a thing? Today, we're going to talk about pipeline moves. Are pipeline moves a thing? Wow. Did I, didn't I say you're going first from now on? Yeah, that's never happening. Okay. Are pipeline moves a thing? I would say a pipeline move might be a thing, but it might not be a thing. Um, earlier, you mentioned, Jesse, this idea of, of steps in a process making us feel like we accomplish things. Have you ever watched or binge watched an entire eight-episode season and feel like you accomplished something? <laughs> because <laughs> it, was, it was easy to see that, you know, I started with zero of eight watch and I got through all eight of them. And it's, it's this feeling of accomplishment. So, you know, that's the problem with steps in a process and the feeling of accomplishment. So an idea of a pipeline move, uh, it really depends on what it's moving toward or away from. So if we're able to understand the right things, what the priorities are in, in properly advanced, I think pipeline moves are a thing. If it's merely just something we do um, and that's expected to occur without any real investigation, without really challenging, do we do we know their priorities? Have we connected our, our real impact to those top priorities? Um, I don't think it's a thing. I think it's just a wasted exercise that creates bloated pipelines and creates forecasts that can continually need to be adjusted, um, that we're still guessing at the end of the day. And I don't think it has to be that way, but unfortunately, that's how most uh, pipelines are managed. Why do you think we measure pipeline moves? 
because it makes us feel like we got through the entire season in one weekend and we feel good about it <laughs> when nothing is good. So I, I think pipeline, it feels like, Hey, I'm, I'm able to update my, my records before the sales meeting. And it, we feel like we're, I guess, pretty much a placebo effect, I guess, right. We're, we're making progress, but what kind of progress and how effective is that progress? I think measuring pipeline moves has a darker side. Ooh. I think it comes from a cynical place of sales leadership to make sure that their people aren't just playing solitaire all day on their computer while they claim to call or email or otherwise do things. And um, that cynical attitude leads to um, some interesting side effects, I believe, of measuring pipeline moves. Uh, to your point about you know bloated forecasts, uh, inaccurate forecasts, right? Yeah. If I'm responsible for a series of pipeline moves, it's easy to see a prospect at 85% or 35%, just depending on how I sort of think about the last conversation, right? So it doesn't take much for me to be able to sort of click that and move them along in that pipeline. Now, if if I'm required to do that, right, uh, yeah. that that gets even easier uh, because I just, I, I need to show progress. And I think uh, my, my verdict is that pipeline moves are not a thing. Uh, and it goes back to this chronological nature of a sale that we talked about last time. Um, the idea that there is only one way for the sale to go and it's going to travel all of these steps and it's never going to go backwards uh, is just archaic. It's, it's, it's an outdated way of thinking. Um, we know that every single member that gets added to that buying committee, and uh, by the way, buying committees are never set at the beginning. They just sort of form and they start to roll downhill like a snowball and they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. So people are constantly being added to this. And every single person that walks into the room that suddenly has a voice and that decision is bringing something completely different. So the idea that there is a chronological uh, you know, journey that we're on that every single sale goes through, um, I struggle uh, with you know, accepting that. And then this idea that um, more effort always produces more movement is the other sort of thing that's behind measuring pipeline moves. That this idea that if I just call more, if I just email more, if I just send more stuff to them, uh, I'm going to be able to move them from 35% to 45%. And I just don't think that's true either. No. Um, so no. My, my ultimate verdict, pipeline moves, not a thing. That's yes, two not a things in a row. How about this? How about this? What if you... Uh, showed your prospect your pipeline and they saw themselves in there. Some of them would laugh. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so I think there's a high degree of delusionalness to this idea of pipeline. So, you know, can you can you make them real? Can you make them a thing? Um, possibly. Possibly. But the way they're executed today, I think we're in agreement on this one. Not a thing. Are, right out of the gate. Right out of the gate. You can find out more about the Priority Sale by visiting thepriorityssale.com. That's also where you can go contact us to tell us your thoughts or just why our opinions are very bad. Or if you like something you heard and think others would like it too, share it with a friend or give us a rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. The Priority Sale podcast is produced by Tiffany Jordan and Jesse Levine. Editing and original music by Mark Ertle. Priority Sales is a registered trademark of Revenue Path Group Incorporated, all rights reserved.